Mr. Mr. Aghast. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Episode 50 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to visit, visit us at our website at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at uh, cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Big 50, man. Big 50. Big, big 50. I know. That's the show news. That's is, this uh, our, like, is this our silver anniversary? Or is, um, it, or is it bronze? I can't remember. I'm trying to think of what... 25 uh, is silver. I think this is golden. No, maybe that's 100. Uh, people have their 50th wedding anniversary, right? 25th is silver wedding anniversary. I think it's gold. What's wood? What's wood? Well, paper is the first. Oh, okay. What's wood? Like I, don't, 15th? I, don't know, I don't know about wood. I think that's uh, after you get your first Cialis uh, prescription. Yeah, that's the a Cialis anniversary. Uh, anniversary. You count from that prescription, so <laughs> you got to wait a few years. It's the fifth Cialis anniversary. I know 60 years is diamond because the queen just had her diamond jubilee. Ergo. Oh, yeah, hmm. but I have no yeah. clue what fifty is. So, well, this is our fifth. This is our. Uh, I don't know. Fiftieth. Well, it's not uh, a year. It's just a pod. It's like our fiftieth consecutive week. Although we skipped a few weeks, so I think we skipped two weeks in there. Yeah, All I right. think we skipped two. So okay. it's been a year, basically. It has too. been a year. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, just uh, going into the next year, uh, we're going to redo some of the directors that we've already done as sort of a. Uh, way to free ourselves up to cover some of the movies you still want to cover so looking forward to that kids yeah i, I don't know I'll, i'm sort of glad we'll be free to do that if we want to but there's sure. so many fucking movies out there i know that's a good thing we're never short of material but goddamn did i love today's movie holy shit holy so today's movie and this this is a, a shout out to uh my friend Emma, Emma Sanyal, this is her favorite movie, and uh, we're doing this. This is for you, is Emma. A, is that a Jewish name? <laughs> oh, sorry, I was going to do a Jewish joke for some reason. I'm not Jewish at all, so I guess it's not kosher. Uh, Bengali, the way of... No, it is absolutely not. There's nothing even close to... Uh, other than maybe that they're very frugal people. I would say that about uh, the Bengalis and, and, and the Jews. They're, they're very frugal, although... You know, I wouldn't be the first to uh, say that, but all right, delving into a little bit of uh, ethnic uh, ethnic minefield there. So I will go on here. With the, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, move along. Yeah, uh, the plot rundown. Uh, it's Christmas time in L.A. and there's an employee the, party. No good Irishman or, or what? What is McLean? Is that a uh, McLean? Is that a Scottish? That's a Scottish name. Depends how it's spelled. Uh, it's spelled with an M-C, not an M-A-C, so I'm going to just chalk that up as uh, Irish. Okay, it's Irish. No good. Yeah. I don't know any Irish. Uh, what do you call it? 
McDonald's. Oh, well. Oh, well, anyways, go ahead. Uh, anyway, it's Christmas time in L.A., and there's an employee party in progress on the 30th floor of the Nakatomi Corporation building. The revelry comes to a violent end when the partygoers are taken hostage by a group of terrorists headed by Hans Gruber, played by a um, awesome Alan Rickman. Uh, yeah, that Gruber character is just is the best. Uh, who plans to steal $600 million locked in Nakatomi's high-tech $650 million. Oh, they got this one wrong. Sorry. Oh, they didn't get the 50 mil in there? Well, maybe, you know, some of it spilled. Maybe that's what happened. They were adjusting for, they were adjusting for inflation on the fly. Negotiable uh, bearer bonds, whatever those are, <laughs> which I did yeah. not. I was going to review. I was going to try to figure out if that's something that actually exists. Uh, we'll get into it. Uh, in truth, Gruber and his henchmen are only pretending to be politically motivated to throw the authorities off track. Also, in truth, Cooper has no intention of allowing anyone to get out of the building alive. Meanwhile, New York cop John McLean, played by a uh, fairly wet behind the ears Bruce Willis, has come to L.A. to visit his estranged wife, Holly, played by Bonnie Bedella, Bedelia, who happens to be one of the hostages. Disregarding one, the hell of, one hell of a perm, too, on Bonnie. Wow, there's some 80s big hair going on in this movie. Uh, Go ahead, sorry. Dis- disregarding the orders of the authorities surrounding the building, McLean, who fears nothing except heights, takes on the villains armed with one handgun and plenty of chitzpah. Is chitzpah Yiddish? It's got to be Yiddish. I right? think it might be. But sorry, he doesn't like heights. I guess that's why he doesn't like flying in airplanes. That doesn't make any sense to me why people who are afraid of heights are afraid of airplanes because heights always seems to be like a vertigo type of an effect, right? You know, you're looking well, down. Yeah, maybe it's just a maybe it's a little more of a higher level fear of just being in a in a precarious situation. I guess and not a vertigo necessarily a vertical a vertigo related a phobia. It doesn't matter if you fall from thirty feet or thirty thousand feet; the effect is exactly the same. So, well, oh, you don't reach terminal velocity. I think you need like four or five hundred feet to reach terminal velocity. Okay. Don't you? The result is exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, the result is more likely to be uh, the same, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, so I haven't watched this movie in years. And uh, to be honest, I haven't plumbed the uh, franchise past, I think, the third Die Hard movie, which is, man, they all Live have... Live Free or Die Hard? Is that the I, third one? I guess the they all have one? the same friggin' name. Okay, let me... But they, they started doing the fast... The old thing that started the Fast 4 franchise where you keep naming uh, different movies, uh, you know, slight variations of the Alien, Aliens, Aliens Cubed, or was it Alien Cubed? Uh, no, it was Alien 3. They, they oh, they said of, 3? You didn't say Cube? It had the 3 up in the corner, but mm. to be honest, that's... Uh, Sort of ridiculous. I don't know. Like it's more science fictiony to have like a three up and like it's Alien Cubed, even though there's have it super scripted, right? Which Alien Cubed, if you do the math, is still an alien. This is one to the third power, gives you one. So mm. whatever. Uh, the Die Hard uh, franchise films. There was Die Hard released in 1988. Uh, yeah. Die Die Hard Two released in 1990. So they were. Yeah, I didn't like that one all that much. Striking. The Iron While It Was Hot. Yeah, that was uh, filmed or supposed to take place at one of my favorite airports in the country, Dulles International. Mm. So, um, I don't remember if, you, if you've ever been to Dulles Airport. Dulles is a weird airport. Um, the entrance terminal is, is nice. It's very uh, 
mid-century modern. It's cool, I would say, the area, the ticketing area. But mm-hmm. to get out to these concourses, I call them the moon buggies. They're these weird, giant, tall uh, buggies for any lack of or a lack of any other word that you kind of get in and they're a lounge. They call them mobile lounges and they sort of wheel around the tarmac to concourses made up with the other concourses. And then you get out and it's like a, a, it's a weird, I don't know. They're going to get rid of it. They're going to put a train out there, but uh, why those have existed so long, I don't really know. Can can you drive them? Do you just check out the keys <laughs> and, and go hauling around the tarmac? If you're a terrorist. that would be pretty blast. That'd be, if a, you're, that'd be a hell of a time. If you're a terrorist in a diehard movie, I'm sure, uh, feel free. I'm sure. Let's see if I can flip it over in the jet wash. You could, I'm sure. I'm sure there's all kinds of hijinks you can get <laughs> into with a giant mobile vehicle on an air get tarmac. Johnny Knoxville out there. <laughs> Uh, and 95, there was Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I saw. And, and uh, it was generally well-received, right? I did I did not see it. Ever. It was pretty good. I remember seeing it. It had Sam Jackson in it for a fact. Uh, this was sort of coming off his uh, Pulp Fiction fame at the time where he started getting some legs career-wise. So Yeah, Sammy J gets around, that's for sure. Yeah, he was in this week's Saturday Night Live just hanging out. I don't really know what he was doing there. He likes hanging out. Yeah, he's a he's a cool cat, man. He's a cool cat, especially with that. Uh, what does he wear? A beret or something? Yeah, he's he wearing a beret. the same hat. Yeah, he's a bad motherfucker. Uh, then there's I haven't seen 2007's Live Free or Die Hard. Wow, whole twelve years past uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, yeah, I never saw that either. Then there's uh, 2013's A Good Day to Die Hard. That's a little double. That's entendre. coming up. A, a good day double. to die hard. I heard it com- takes place in like. A, Eastern old ex Eastern Block or something like that. Whatever, sure, why not? Put a New York cop in Eastern Block, and uh, I'm trying to scan through it to see what the gist is. But it's oh, it's f- okay. being filmed in Budapest, Hungary. So I think he got something there. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I don't know. I, though I've you know, I've heard that fourth one's pretty good, or the third one's pretty good. I have to say, uh, third one's decent. Uh, the phrase "Die Hard" is of British origin, and oh, uh, is it not just it, the Sears battery line? <laughs> no, no, Bruce Willis and Sears bring you Die Hard. Yeah, is that the bunny or is that the Energizer bunny? Let's forget. Um, that's the Energizer has the bunny. The Die Hard is the is that the copper top or is that something else? Fuck, man, the battery. Well, you know, it's funny because actual uh, disposable batteries are uh, the industry is dying hard. Uh, pun intended. Well, you just you don't use them as much. I mean, I still use them occasionally, like in mice and. Uh, uh, smoke detectors. There's and... some news report about how they're shutting down, and I guess we still have domestic disposable battery plants because of uh, you know all our gadgets are coming with rechargeables. You know. That oh yeah, just with them built in, and it's great because it puts a, a great lifespan on uh, on on electronics. Plus, oh, yeah. it makes them smaller too, which which everybody really demands. Really small, thin devices and stuff to make a thin device is you gotta gotta pop a, a double A in. True. So, I, remember, I remember I had a Walkman from like the late nineties. It was super thin, but it had a, a huge bulge in it where you put two double A batteries yeah, and it had the little goiter for your batteries. I remember those. Yeah, it had a little growth on one side. Of it. <laughs> okay, so the uh, phrase "die hard" comes from the Battle of. Albuera, 1811, uh, in the Peninsula War. And I think this might have been what, the Peninsula War. I'm guessing that might have been the Crimean Peninsula. 
Fuck, man. The British no got idea. around. I don't know where they were fighting. Oh, yeah, they got around. Uh, let's see. Between France and allied powers of Spain. So, all right, maybe Spain. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Uh, Lieutenant, during the battle, Lieutenant Colonel William Inglis of the 57th West Middlesex Regiment of Foot was wounded by canister shot. Despite his injuries, Inglis refused to retire from the battle but remained with regimental colors, encouraging his men with the words, Die hard, 57th. Die hard. As they came under intense pressure from French attack. Boy, that must have really just pushed that uh, stool right back up my butthole so I wouldn't (laughs) shit myself. Seeing some guy mortally wounded telling me, do a good job dying out there, boys. (laughs) Make so, me proud. Uh, yeah, oh, well, was, I'd be dead soon, but make me make the you know the sort of uh, you know spiritual sense of me. That's proud. right. He was the original John McClane. He may have been. He may have been uh, British Irish. We don't know. It's hard to say. So you know, mm. a little bit of synergy there. Anyway, so the movie uh, Die Hard. Uh, you know uh, the the bad guy uh, Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Carl. I don't I don't know what Alan Rickman's done lately, but I got a huge David he's Warner. Snape. He's what? Isn't he Snape? Who's Isn't that, that Alan Rickman? In the uh he in the Harry Potter movies. Oh you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He uh he's sort probably of the t- best character in the whole Harry Body Potter stories. I'm sure you've read uh, them and I would the audio book and there's some great fan fiction with Snape in it. Some of it's pretty <laughs> sexy too. <laughs> Fucking I'm a I'm a heli her, heli. I'm a Harry Potter exile. I have sworn off the Potter. I, uh, oh, it's, it's an easy read. Embracing no, so them. It, it, hmm? I'm not embracing the multi-gazillion dollar franchise. I just don't have the time. Oh, you know, look, it's uh, definitely throwaway. It's like watching crap TV. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, I got it. I read worse shit, so I'm not really one to talk. Uh, anyway, Alan Rickman. Uh, he's kind of, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of the new David Warner. Or at least the old new David Warner, because he has that bad guy appeal. Um, He's very uh, like he's best when he plays the bad guy, which uh, he was. I assume the bad guy in the Harry Potter films. Is that true? Uh, No, Snape is actually the Judas type character. Okay, kind of a storyline. Yeah, it's more of a modern Judas interpretation, like uh, the Last Temptation of Christ, where he's a man that needs to do bad in order. So that good uh, can win. Wow, he's like a, he's a, sort of a weird dark martyr. Some Harry Potter uh, Jesus uh, synergy mm-hmm. there. He kills Dumbledore. In case you haven't read the books, I haven't read it, and you can ruin the shit out of it for all I care. You can tell me, uh, does Harry Potter die at the end? No, Harry Potter doesn't die. It would be nice. There was actually yeah. some thought that okay. he was the last Horcrux, and I think that would have been a good term way to terms. I mean, for things to go. But uh, when they had to, so the way you'd have to kill he who shall not be named would actually be to kill himself. Because, to, of course, he stop. who had not been named had just divided stop. his soul up and stored it in various horcruxes around the world so he stop. could be immortal. Stop. Fucking stop. <laughs> I, give, I give not a shit. Let's get back to Die Hard. <laughs> uh, so Die Hard's a little film background. Um, Bruce Willis was not the original choice for uh, John McClane. He was actually the sixth choice. There sixth? Was, yeah, there was a whole... I thought he was pretty hot after Moonlighting. Moonlighting? No, this was his big screen debut. He was a fairly minor... You know, TV and, and film are two different 
Uh, well, uh, you realms. know, they're two different things more so then than they are now. You see actors and actresses m- sort of uh, position themselves back and forth between TV and film pretty freely these days. Yeah, but to anchor like a multi-million dollar action movie in the 80s to be like a moonlighting guy, that's some, uh, you know, that's, that's, you gotta, that's some star power you gotta have going for you. It's not, it's not, it wasn't just, uh, they weren't just handing those out. Yeah, he put Uh on some muscles. I think he juiced a little bit for this role. He was juicing. He's a juicer. Yeah, that's well, why he still bald. juice for stuff. This stuff, yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, so he was number six. So let me see. Who's was Rutger Hauer in there anywhere? No, he was not in it. Take take a few more guesses. Uh, they didn't have. Uh, oh my god, they did. They weren't going to have Schwarzenegger do it. Yeah, number one. Number uh, one. It's fucking number Yippie one. Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> Come on, that would have been perfect. Let's yeah, see who else. Perfect. Who else would have been in the. Uh, Oh, how about that uh, that Rhodes Scholar guy that played He-Man in the Masters of the Universe? Nah, that is, no, you're way off track here. Um, I'm going to go through it. So Arnold was number one. Uh, Stallone, number two. Dudley Moore, number three. <laughs> Dudley Moore with his club foot, number no. Uh, Burt Reynolds. See, you dog Burt Reynolds. Oh, was, uh, Burt. He was up for it, man. Uh, uh, this is almost kind of like the list of... Uh, that would have dated this movie. Oh, my God. It's well, where of, would well, who would Dom DeLuise play? <laughs> we got to put him in. Maybe he'd play like his ex gay husband who had or taken Jerry Reed. Who would Jerry Reed play? Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, Burt Reynolds, Richard Gere. Fucking oh, Richard Gere better with the worst fucking action star. I don't oh, know Richard Ugh. Gere. I've never been a big fan of the Gere star. Fucking after the the whole though. Pretty story. Pretty Lady is a, a a wonderful film. We should watch that sometime. The hamster story still weirds me out, even though it's super. Oh, hamster. that's just fake. Nobody, uh, nobody in the right mind would stick a hamster up their ass. That doesn't uh, make any. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it's a thing. That's just make No, nobody, nobody actually does that. That's just that's just that's total insanity. I'm gonna. I'll I'll, I'll chalk it up as as a complete urban legend. I'll, I'm with you. Uh, yeah. Harrison Ford is up on deck, uh, and yeah. Mel Gibson. So yeah, I think either of them would have been pretty good. Mel Mel would probably would have been the best bet, but he was number five. Was, uh, there were six, six. Okay, so there were six choices, huh. and then they 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 defaulted to Willis. No, uh, I think they did. They like did this do well in the theaters? It, it did must. really well. Um, yeah, it was a it's a great film. Obviously, man, it spawned like five sequels, so it had a budget well, of twenty eight million. Yeah, opening weekend was six hundred thousand, which I guess is good. I was only on twenty one screens though, uh, but no, it grossed, weird. They soft sell it. It grossed 137 million worldwide, so you know oh. it made its money. It was a it was yeah. a good deal. Uh, it was a 20th Century Fox production. Uh, Bruce Willis earned uh, unprecedented five million dollars in the role, and which was huge for that era. But uh, they, I guess, the production company wasn't really hot on it. But then uh, Rupert Murdoch. Our friend Rupert Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch of Fox. Uh, He's a good saved, man. Saved the day and, and authorized $5 million to be paid out to Mr. Willis for the role yeah. of uh, Jack McClain. And huh. John. coincident, John McClain. Jack, Jack's a nickname for John. Come on. Is it? Yeah. Sure. Oh. Uh, the film, or the Nakatomi building, was filmed actually at Fox. The Fox, what was the name of it? Fox Tower. Something oh, is that like what that. was that? What that building was? Yeah, it's in Century City, California. So it's still there, I'm sure, right? I believe so. Yeah, it's a pretty, 
pretty uh, famous building. But it's uh, Century City. I'm trying to – there's Culver City and Century City, and one of them was like a pre-planned urban development um, – well, I mean, which which LA. if you were if you were making a big pre-planned development, would you name it Culver, or would you name it Century? Century, man, because that sounds more important. I'd name it Millennial City just to make it even more important. Eon City, yeah. So uh, the movie is pretty straightforward. The plot is not very Byzantine. It's uh, well, I just can't imagine that. It just doesn't seem like this movie has its two hour and. What thirteen minute running yeah, time? It fucking goes forever. I no, was, yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem that long. This, it keeps it keeps popping the whole time. There's not really any slow parts. It's an action movie, you know. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm weight. just surprised. I'm surprised that I'm surprised it was such a long edit, even though it works really well. It's it it seems like a ninety minute film, but it's but it's a hundred and fifteen. Or, Right, carry the Terry the three and like seven. <laughs> Alien to the third, and you get okay. <laughs> and uh, it should, it just seems like a good half an hour shorter than it actually is, just from an experiential standpoint. So I'm gonna say that this movie has a lot of '80s going on in it. It's very uh, kind of sexy, glossy '80s. It's '80s at its best, is what I would say about Die Hard. Oh. Yeah, uh, the I mean, hair uh, isn't too big and aquanetted. It's just right. Uh, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem that far removed from our current day. I mean, I guess it has some eighties in it, but uh, although other than other than that, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't look that much different than today. I mean, considering the, the look of the building, I did like the touch screen uh, interface. Oh, that was a that was a hot new gadget where you could look yeah. up somebody's name and touch like you know find out where they are in the building. Yeah, and even even I guess the the door guy said it could even show you uh, show you how to unzip your fly or something yeah, when you went to the urinal. I, I'm not sure how that worked. They didn't demonstrate that in this film. I was very disappointed. No, some giant robotic articulated hand comes out and holds your wiener in front of the. Urinal. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you had to touch it with your wiener, but then you yeah. already have your fly down, so it doesn't make sense. Maybe you touch it with the urine stream. Wiener touch screen. Okay, we're deviating. Uh, oh, that's a great idea for a men's urinal. Maybe it's not hygienic now that I think about it. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so... I'd be cool th- with it. One thing I noticed that does date this movie that would render the terrorist slash thieves plan completely uh, irrelevant is the invention of and proliferation of cell phones. Uh, if, How about the invention and proliferation of not taking a gun on a commercial aircraft? Yeah, you know. Can you still take a, you, if you're a cop, let's just say you're a cop from Fort Lauderdale and you're flying cross country, you can pack your piece on the plane? Fuck no. Fuck no. I, well, that seems insane. I don't think I don't that know, was even you allowed. Can. I think to, maybe you can. I don't think that it was even allowed back in the day. Because if you're firing uh nine millimeter inside of a pressurized cabin that bullet is going to completely perforate the cabin and depressurize that whole goddamn thing oh no it's not man they've looked into this like on uh, ghostbusters or mythbusters it (laughs) just puts a hole and uh yeah it doesn't uh it, it just it's just a slow air leak it doesn't really make much difference in the uh, you know the air pressure inside it's dude it's we easy, watched it's Goldfinger didn't you see what happened in Goldfinger when yeah. they shot it doesn't, the it doesn't you don't get an explosive decompression if you put a couple holes in the fuselage uh, the fuselage is sort of leaky as is I think there was an effort to after nine eleven to have 
pilots carry guns in the cockpit. So I guess you're right. Maybe it it isn't the catastrophic failure that I'm thinking it would be. Yeah, no, I don't think it is. Uh, So, yeah, but he can pack a gun. You know, he's a cop. Cops pack guns. And uh, whether they're Mm -hmm. on duty or off duty, you got to have your gun on you. Well, shit, man, he's been doing this 11 years. You got to trust him. He was only a cop for 11 years? Well, that's that's what he told the guy who was Uh sitting next to you. In first class, by the way. On a 747, which don't fly domestically, I found that extremely Well, I think they may have flew domestically in the 80s. You know, I'm curious. I took a 47 to Hawaii. Is that not domestic? That's domestic, but they don't fly 747s to Hawaii. They don't do it any longer, but they did about uh, 12 years ago. I swear to God, I was on one. I'm, I'm... I laid you. down across the center aisle and took a nap. It was em- it was it was half empty. Fuck, that sounds like a beauty flight. I'd be all. Over I know. That I shit. couldn't. I couldn't. Im- I couldn't believe it. And Jesus, yeah. oh, it's like it was like that all the time back in the eighties. There's a there's a novel by Hunter S. Thompson. I think it's called like The Curse of Lono, where he's uh, flying to Hawaii on a seven forty seven and he's getting drunk up in the lounge because seven forty sevens used to have a lounge up on the top floor. Oh, as before opposed they put the to- second. Packing it full of uh, high-end seats. Yeah, they used to have like a lounge, and so he was talking about hanging out up there and whatever, getting drunk and being Hunter S. Thompson. So, yeah, you know, they were were different little bit of a different airplane. So uh, what were we talking about? Oh, the 80s-ish, 80s-ness of It didn't seem too, it didn't seem over the top, at least I I thought. I mean, the hairdo is a little bit and some of the suits, but generally uh, I thought it was a pretty nicely uh, decored uh, um, it's a pretty nice building. You can you can make it work today. Like you put some flat screens up, and uh, mm-hmm. you know a couple of uh, LCD monitors, and yeah, it could be totally updated. There there wasn't yeah. anything egregiously eighties about it. Yeah, I'm sure it still is. I'm sure it's still still there. Uh, what I quite enjoyed was that uh, to be an evil German terrorist slash bank thief, you had to look like Fabio. Which I thought was kind of entertaining. Oh, yeah. Some of the long-haired. Uh, well, of course, there was Carl, but there were some other long-haired guys. Yeah. They had some really nice Western European tall Aryan fellas. Plus, they had like one Mongol, which I thought was sort of weird. Oh, uh, Al. I, I got his name. It's Al Leong. And he must be a he must be a stunt man or something. If you need if you needed a crazy looking wild man Mongol Asian guy back in the eighties, you went to Al because he was. Uh, Genghis Khan in oh yeah that looks he looks like a good old Genghis Genghis in uh, Bill and Ted's he, oh, he was, was? <laughs> yeah he was some badass kung fu guy in Big Trouble in Little China he was like part of the fighting tong the evil fighting tong yeah and uh, oh, there was another one that was sticking out but uh, anyway yeah so he he's so yeah you had a bunch of Aryans and you had uh, you had Al Long. And then the black guy, <laughs> who is the techie nerd, the hacker, the pre-hacker. Oh, Theo. Yeah, I liked Theo. He was sort of fun. He sort uh, of, you know, he was uh, sort of free spirit and uh, didn't mind uh, mixing it up as long as his hands didn't get too bloody. Yeah, he was having a good time, even though like shit was falling down all around him and everything. He was. He yeah, was he's like a total, uh, you know, modern day hacker kid. Uh, the guy, the 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 actor who plays Theo. Let me drag him up. I, I found a little interesting tidbit. Oh, really? But, I didn't research him at all. Uh, I I don't know where I came across this, but uh, you'll find it interesting. Um, played by Clarence Gilliard. I thought he might have been Jordy 
from Star Trek: The Next Gen. He kind of no, looked no, like that him. was played by uh, uh, what's the name? The guy who played uh, was on Roots. Yeah, uh, Lavar Burton. Yeah, no, it, it isn't Lavar. It was a different guy, but uh, his name is Clarence Gilliard Jr. And he was born a black guy, born in Moses Lake, Washington, in 1955. Oh, really? So, yeah, hmm. that odd. Where's Moses Lake at, anyways? Uh, middle of our state, in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's uh, oh, that sounds like a terrible place to grow up. Yeah, it, it would be. And uh, well, you know, maybe if you had like a one of those little hundred cc motorbikes. Um, pretty fun. Yeah, that's about all there is to do out there. It's just a middle of the, middle of the desert. Yeah. So um, that was the crew, and then Alan Rickman. So they were uh, a West German terrorist organization with political motivations, but they have long since uh, gone over to thievery as their primary occupation. They've kind of given up their politics. Oh, I mean, I guess maybe. I mean, they do say that Hans Gruber has some connection with certain groups where he's left them. So I really wonder about the group he's with. It didn't. Sound, I thought they were just maybe brought together for this job. Uh, that that could Hans be Gruber the case. recruited everybody because every. I mean, maybe some of the German guys who's close with like Carl and his brother, but I'm sure he just brought Theo in and a few of the other guys because they had certain skills, and and then just some general muscle on top it's, of everything. It's. Yeah, it's kind of like your Ocean's Eleven setup, where you uh, collect all the talent, you know, for a for a heist that you you need, and uh, whether they're part of your original organization or your former yeah. organization or not, yeah, I guess it doesn't much matter. Uh, yeah, it seems there was so much planning that went went into it that uh, you know I I could see how he could just have cherry picked people. I mean, he even had the investment plan ready. He was going to make twenty percent somehow. Jesus, on his money—that's a pretty hefty return on your investment. So I guess they were stealing these um, bonds, right? So like government issued bonds. Uh, so those are maybe something like a government issues or like a currency that. Well, can... some it looked like they had. Uh, they show them a couple of them up close, and they have uh, some notation that makes them look like they're generated by the U.S. government in one hundred thousand dollar notes. Okay, but uh, those have, I don't see how you could really steal them uh, because I'm sure they would be serialized. Wouldn't make more sense if it was gold, you know, something you could just trans, you know, change the shape of, melt it down, and recast it. And there'd be no way to know. I just yeah. don't see what, how how you steal that much paper and what? and launder it. Not, yeah, it does. It doesn't. Who's going to move those notes? I mean, it's one thing if it's a bunch of cash, and that's hard enough with the serial numbers. You're telling me these bonds didn't have serial numbers on them? That's just insane. I Most just don't see how you could steal. You could steal that. I don't either. And it's interesting. Okay, so uh, the Nakatomi Corporation, I get as being sort of a Halliburton. Uh, They have, like, invest in oil infrastructure. There was all those models of oil rigs and very various, like, oil refineries and things. Oh, yeah, and they build stuff. You know, it's this. there's a few actual conglomerate corporations like that in Japan. Like Halliburton. Yeah, I mean, even bigger than that. that you know they just do whatever they have capital and they do whatever business makes money they have various expertise so why they would have 600 million in capital locked up in one of their buildings just sitting there seems a little odd but whatever well you know hans actually goes so far as to say that uh it's actually a rather small amount of capital for the company uh if, if you listen very carefully um you hear him tell uh what's the uh the 
Uh, oh, the head guy, the uh, Joe Takaki, 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 the, um, the 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 U.S. head or the U.S. CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah the U.S. CEO of Japanese descent. That uh, this six hundred forty million dollars only represents ten days operating capital for your company. No, oh, okay. He's trying to convince them that you know we're going to steal it. Uh, but uh, you know, you shouldn't worry too much about it. It's not going to destroy the company. It's just a small pittance of yeah. the money that this company f- floats around on a daily basis. All right. So, uh, so you would guess they might want some liquid capital. Obviously, it would be electronic these days, and probably would have been in those days too. Yeah. They also I had some like art and artifacts. Right. The safe. If you notice, they had some Japanese uh, samurai uh, armor. They had a painting. I forget what it was a painting of. Well, if you notice, the uh, Nakatomi Corporation logo is like a samurai helmet. I don't know if you kind of – it's like an abstract samurai Oh, with the little three helmet. dots? Oh, you know, I was looking at that, and I didn't, I didn't see that. But uh, I, was, I, was, I was wondering because a lot of the, the Japanese love their logos. Yeah. Well, symbolism, have some meaning. symbolism is a pretty strong uh, human uh, – oh. You should uh, sometime check out uh, every city and town – in Japan, uh, creates a highly designed logo for itself. You should logos go uh, on, online and check out their logos. There's some amazing logo. I bet. Work. It's not. It's not all the crap here. It's just a bunch of Roman letters Man. here in the states. Well, they're symbols. Just, they're in their re- in their real abstract too. You know, they're real simple with like block colors and and smooth lines. It's really beautiful stuff. All I got to say is, if you want to uh, get a feel for how strong the power of symbols are. Uh, go look at your uh, swastika. That's about as powerful a symbol as I can possibly think of. Yeah, it means peace and something about unity and the and killing Jews by the millions. Oh well, that's that's a invading that's a Poland. That's a, that's a that's a latter day use. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, so that's their racket. They're gonna steal these uh, these bonds, I guess. Doubled. And, uh, you know, uh, Vidal, uh, an army of Vidal soon graduates. Schnell, so, schnell. <laughs> well, it's interesting, the whole German thing. I, I guess when this was uh, released in Germany, uh, they swapped out all the German names for English names. So oh, they're a bunch of Englishmen. Yeah. And then hands- dubbed in English uh, when they're talking to each other? I don't know, because when they talk to each other, I guess the German is half babble. It's not actually. It's like grammatically wrong and sounds oh, like it? nonsense. Oh, I thought they'd be actually. I thought they were actually German actors. I guess not. Uh, I think they must have been, but they were just directed. Alan to say Rickman nonsense. has a strong accent, but uh, the rest of them. Anyway, Hans Gruber in the German version became Jack Gruber. Carl oh. became Charlie. Heinrich became Henry, etc. Ah. Uh, and, and the new background depicted them as radical Irish activists, having gone freelance and for profit rather than ideals. So. Well, that makes sense. You know, I, I can see why you'd probably want to do that. I mean, you're not to, out there to make a point. Anyways, there's not really any point. You just need a bad guy. I don't think of Germans as loose cannons of any stretch. I can't think of them besides the great unpleasantness of World War II being... And one. Uh, and one. Being uh, the the loose cannons, no pun intended, that would, you know... Uh, terrorists slash uh, bank thieves. It just doesn't seem in the Germans these days, you know. They're lovers, well, not fighters. you don't expect don't the know. Scandinavians to go well, rape nuns. But they what? used to. Oh, back in the day. Yeah. yeah. 
So I think Germans just seem like a, a nice, safe terrorist label, like ethnically, because they're so not terrorists that you can call them terrorists, and it just seems you know you're safe to do that. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, it's good to label the enemy other. It makes it easier to accept, especially to a wide, uh, non-critical audience. Yeah, I mean, if it was like a bunch of Arab guys, you'd be like, oh, it's a little, 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 little too, uh, even for the 80s, a little too insensitive. Oh, so. you would do that, but I don't think it'd be a problem for the audience at large. Uh, no, they would, they would, they would, oh, for American audiences, it would. Uh, yeah, if they were a bunch of Southern good old boys, or if they were a <laughs> bunch of, uh, you mean, like, consider a movie where you have robbers who are like, um, Californian surfers. It'd never work. Never work. It'd never be believable. I, you mean uh, only if they would make a movie just to They'd see have how to that disguise themselves with masks or something to yeah, make like, it work. Like, uh, you know, four, I don't know, like the, like the four I don't stooges. Know, like, like vice presidents, maybe. Oh, that's vice presidents. There's some, been some pretty uh, notorious vice presidents out there that yeah. would make good bank robbers. I agree. Uh, so then you get... John McClane inserted into the equation. Um, he's taken out terrorists left and right, and uh, yeah, feeding he, it intel takes, to the police. He's uh, it takes doing him his a job. while to get takes him a while to get the uh, the uh, cops there. Here's a here's a here's a quote. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, uh, I love that stuff. I, there's a, a lot of nice little quips. There's well, that's kind of the '80s. See, this is sort of why this is such a quintessential '80s action movie, because the '80s are like defined by that sort of one-liner. You mean defined by stuff like this? No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Yeah. <laughs> well, and then the, the biggest, the the granddaddy of all one-liners that. Uh, permeates through all the Die Hard movies, which uh, you may have it, or you actually know you, you you played it in the beginning is the it yippee ki yeah. yippee motherfucker. You know, mm -hmm. that's the uh that's the tagline for uh Die Hard and its uh franchise. Which uh is a cowboy I I'm, do, did cowboys say yippee ki What the fuck did that come from? No. Let's see here's something else he said. All right. I know what a TV dinner feels like yeah, that's when he's trapped in the HVAC. He just kept him coming. It was just cracking me up. I don't know. I must have been in the right mood, but it was just I was just loving every little every little bit of it. Uh, you could just see him on the beat in New York City, just quipping left and right. You know, see, just, I, I uh, like this one right here. Right. Missed some. What? What was that? <laughs> he said missed some. That's oh. what he's telling to the uh, cokehead guy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh God, that cokehead guy. Oh Ellis. Oh, I name? love Ellis. Here, here's 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 my favorite yeah. line from Ellis. Hey, what am I, method actor Hans? <laughs> Babe, put away the gun. This is radio, not television. Yeah, that guy's awesome. Hans, baby. <laughs> that guy, uh, he reminds me of the CEO of uh, Oracle. Uh, oh, I really? Know if you've ever seen an interview with that guy. He has like the beard. Maybe it's the beard that does it, sort of that uh, clean oh, cut. Oh, yeah, he had that Jonathan beard. Frakes beard. Yeah, just, uh, just a douchebag. He was Frakes in it. Well, and it's funny because I was thinking, what's the difference be besides the Coke? addiction what's the difference between him and john mcclain you know they both have the diy attitude towards uh the bad guy you know it's like oh let me uh, handle it i can do it you know that sort of uh i think it's bravado. the the, dif the difference is the uh incredibly expensive cocaine habit that's basically <laughs> uh basically fucks him 
takes Ellis, you know, gets Ellis a bullet in his head. Well, yeah, I don't know. And uh, then there was, uh, I want to keep saying Jack McClane, John McClane. He was pleading with Ellis. No, hey, Jack is a perfectly legitimate uh, nickname for John. Or Roy. That was his other nickname. That was what his alias was. Yeah, the alias didn't last too long. No. Um, Yeah, they were awfully candid on the air there, you know, between the the cop and the cop was... uh, Played by Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell. That was kind of his buddy, you know, his uh, beat cop confidant that he can mm-hmm. relate to there on the other side of the uh, the barricade. Yeah, uh, boy, he had a tough time. He shot, a shot kid, that man. kid. Shot he that had kid. a ray gun. Looked real enough to me. Fucking, I feel for you. I'm sorry. It's, it's the fucking hoodie. He should have put. Why did he have a hoodie on? Yeah, you get that sob story. That's just kind of ham-fisted. Just well, it's the big second the... storyline that turns that uh, gets resolved in the very end, where he finally right. learns how to kill again. It's very uplifting. He, yeah, he, he learns. You know, he learns how to kill like down. a six-foot-five, blonde, long, blonde-haired German guy with a. Yes, that's that's who you're supposed to kill, not kids with ray guns. That's right. I think we've all learned something here. <laughs> we know who deserves to die in this world, and it's not the kids. It's. Uh, tall germans with quaffed hair there's all sorts of weird peripheral characters how about the uh i mean there's and they they spend time developing them i guess that's where the extra half hour comes from like uh how about um how about the uh sort of go get em, uh no morals uh journalist oh. to try to make a story there's this whole backstory they deliver to you in about five seconds where he's like the low man on the totem pole yeah it's uh at, at the at the, uh, at the station that that guy uh in the movie he was uh he was the sort of hack local news correspondent richard thornburg played by uh william atherton who uh had a great asshole role in one of my favorite films from the 80s real genius he was the dickhead professor uh, from, mm. I don't know if you remember, but a great movie, mm. uh, a good actor. Anyway, yeah, there was him, and uh, then there was the uh, police chief, played by another great '80s actor. Now, uh, who is that? It, I'm gonna, I think Paul Gleason. So he, here's 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 his best line. Okay, I'm gonna need some more FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when the FBI uh, after, helicopter after crashes. The two, the, after the two Johnsons, is that their last name? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Johnson twins. The FBI guys. <laughs> Not related. No relation. No. no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gleason is, uh, he was in uh, The Breakfast Club. He played, uh, mm, yeah. oh, shit, I forget his name. Um, looking for it now. But, uh, yeah, he was the adult, quote, unquote. In Who was Breakfast watching Club. the watching the uh, the detention. Yeah, there's probably only about five years in between the actual actors and, and him. But, uh, yeah, that was one of his better roles. And he plays kind of the same guy here, you know, the asshole LAPD chief, you know. Oh, yeah, the LAPD is sort of showing a sort of bumbling. Boy, their SWAT team doesn't do a very good job. No. They're, they're in front of a glass door and they're having trouble opening it where they could just break the glass. Yeah. Remember all the trouble they have getting the lock open? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were up there like, I don't know what the and fuck then, they were doing. Well, they were trying to pick it, and then they were gonna they were gonna burn it out with like an acetylene torch. Oh, that's it right! It was like a huge glass door. Yeah, you could have just like taken one of the many battering rams that, that SWAT the door teams down. carry around with them <laughs> and just bash through the glass. And then they got shot through the very door they couldn't open. 
I think that might have been a commentary about the LAPD. I think the LAPD, uh, yeah. uh, prior to, I don't know when, there was a police chief that ran the LAPD that was notoriously shitty. And uh, everybody hated him, and he was terrible. And so, you know, maybe there was a little knock there. And, uh, yeah, anyway. But uh, the FBI doesn't fare much better in this Yeah, film. there's a lot of these little characters. It's just sort of, I don't know, adds, it just adds a little flavor to the movie. I guess I guess that's one thing I liked about the film. With all yeah. These peripheral, I mean, they even go so far as sending that reporter guy to the McLean household to try to sneak in. There's a whole line where he, uh, he, he, uh, Paulina, the maid, he threatens to call the INS on her so she can, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he can interview their kids, and then that draws back into the plot point where, uh, you know, Gruber finally figures out Holly Gennaro and John McClane are uh, married. Yeah. Oh, right, right. I mean, it's oh, yeah, because he has it's the a picture. long ways to go. Well, he has the framed picture that he is just that, is that, decides is that to old, carry around for obvious, you know, clues. the frame picture he decides. No, that picture was in Holly's office. I thought that's what photo. he's holding when the news thing's going on or something. There's a no, TV he, running. Holly's in there. He had noticed there were, it was her office. He had noticed that there were some pictures there, and he had noticed one picture was overturned. And he was actually, earlier in the film, it looked like he was going to take a look at it because he saw Holly glance to it briefly when she came in to uh, make some demands for the the hostages. And then he got distracted by another event. But then he saw Holly see the TV because there's a little TV in there with the news on it. Yeah. She saw, he saw how she was moved. And he knew John McLean had somebody he loved there. And then oh, he, right. His attention was drawn back to that photo, which uh, John had, had John turned it. No, Holly turned it down. Yeah, because yeah, uh, stru- candidly at some point she flipped it down. Or, no, yeah, she flipped it down because she was pissed at John. Remember, oh, he yeah. called or they called or and he was pissed at her and he just yeah. threw the sheet. So the, the, is that, is that I can't believe that's why they developed that reporter character for that one moment. But I guess that's why they did. But I thought, uh, I thought, it, was, I thought it was nice. It kind of injected a little media sleaze into the whole thing. You know, just, you know, and I thought Holly had her own little one liners, which I thought were interesting. Yeah, here's here's her first one. That baby's ready to tend bar. Wow. What was <laughs> that in reference to? Uh, it's right at the beginning of the movie where uh, she lets her personal assistant go. And she, remember her personal assistant, which uh, with probably the worst '80s hairdo. Yeah, of the she entire was, movie. She was the was biggest very pregnant offender. Yeah, she yeah. has. She was the biggest. Uh, she was very big and pregnant. Yeah, and she was. Uh, let's see here. Got um, another one for her. Yeah, I do have another one, but I'm having. Oh, here we go. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When she realizes this John uh, after the uh what uh the tall short-haired blonde guy comes down dressed as Santa Claus. Uh with, oh. Now I have a gun written on him. Right. That was the brother of the other long-haired oh, uh, that's blonde right. guy. That's why he was so vengeful there at the end. You know, yeah, that's why yeah, he yeah. uh he uh you know did the last bad guy uh, yeah, that was Carl. There. Actually, the, her response to that was because Carl comes down just after narrowly missing getting John. Carl comes down and like knocks over a table or something. Right. And she notices the frustration in his eyes. And, uh, that's right. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, th- I thought she was a pretty neat So let's talk about the, the John McClane character for a bit. Uh, you know... What, can you can you create a fully fleshed out lovable character from basically a series of one liners? That's yeah, one thing. Because uh, that's all that we get from John McClane. We don't get uh, we get a few of these 
really sappy, campy conversations with uh, the beat cop, Sergeant Al Powell there. Well, you, know, you do get that when uh, he calls him on, you know, why you're off the streets. But, you know, there actually is a rather nicely acted scene uh, when Holly and John are together right at the beginning. And uh, he starts badging her about, you know, um, her career. Oh. You, know, you could see, see the old pain and, and problems with the with the marriage and why they're separated come right. back up. And, you know, and he sort of bangs his head against the wall and i thought that so was pretty nice there's a there is a backstory story to john mcclain because this the novel and the diehard movie was intended to be a sequel there was oh really a frank sinatra film i don't know when i don't have the stats up called the detective that's john mcclain pre-diehard and so when they were going to do Die Hard, I guess they were going to try to cast Frank Sinatra. And it wasn't going to be his wife. It was his daughter. And the terrorists were actually terrorists. They weren't bank thieves. Uh, but Frank Sinatra was 73, and uh, all that fell through. And so to kind of live it up, liven, liven it up, add a little bit of... Uh, more action, less seriousness to it. They decided that they were going to be just bank thieves masquerading as terrorists, and that was kind of an easier way to go about it. So uh, there is a backstory to John, and I guess if you're just a huge diehard fan. Is it novelized? um, It was based on a novel. Oh, uh, oh, oh. Roderick Thorpe is the individual who wrote the novel, and I'm trying to find out what the name of that novel is. Uh, but this this is a sequel to the novel. Die Hard is a sequel, not an actual right. sequel Right, so novel. the original novel that he wrote was called The Detective in 1966, which became mm-hmm. the movie The Detective starring Frank Sinatra. And then in 1979, he wrote a sequel to that called Nothing Lasts Forever, which then became Die Hard. Uh, so, yeah, so it was sort of a bastardized sequel to a novel and things got changed to make it work but i guess a lot of the dialogue if you want to call it dialogue is fairly fairly close to the novel which seems a little odd considering this movie is stitched together one-liners for the most part yeah it really seems like it it didn't seem like it was based off a novel it seemed like a screenplay yeah because the dialogue is so short i don't know how thin the book would have been because you would have gotten like 20 pages of just gunfire (laughs) you know this reminds me of a uh, a rather small but uh, a genre of fiction, Men's Adventure, which I only became aware of when I was working at a bookstore in high school. Oh, yeah. There's there's these, like, there's this whole genre of, like, in the, their series sort of like romances. They seem to be printed on the by the same pulp companies. Yeah. Where they just churn out these books. And you see the same character, you know, it's sort of like 007 type stuff. Right. Manly man out, you know, shooting motherfuckers and all that. Yeah, there used to be, I mean, it was uh, the compliment to uh, romance novels. It was, uh, yeah, men's fiction. It was, I wonder uh, if it's still around. Well, Probably. Yeah. Have you picked up a Tom Clancy novel lately? If you want to talk uh, about men's yeah. fiction, you can't. Maybe I, they tried to stylize men's fiction, sort of try to elevate it, sort of like that Fifty Shades of Grey business. Make it, uh, you know, put on some, the robes of proper literature over top of it. I don't think anybody thinks that Fifty Shades of Grey is any kind of mantle of legitimacy with regard to well, actual. Well, they don't. They don't put it. They don't put it in the romance section. They put it in the literature section. Wow, it's uh, 
It's fucking so. terrible writing. <laughs> I Rose thought it was pretty all. good. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, no, Rose read them all. It's uh, there was some skit where I think it was like Zach Galifianakis. I've been tying bitches up lately. It just seems like they want it. <laughs> Nipple clamps and uh, yeah, with gray ties. Uh, there was some skit where it was Zach Galifianakis and I want to say Will Ferrell reading dialogue from Fifty Shades of Grey. It was it was pretty funny. It's out mm. there somewhere. YouTube that bitch. Uh, <laughs> it reminds anyway. me of an old uh, SNL skit where uh, uh, who's the who's the actor was killed by his wife. He was on news radio. Oh, Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman uh, was he? He always played uh, what's my cold dead hands NRA old actor guy. Oh, Charlton Heston. Yeah, okay, he did. He Hartman did Charlton Heston reading from Madonna's sex book. Nice. Oh, Which I thought was a pretty that's funny gotta skit. Be gold. Sorry, I had to go all the way around for those names, <laughs> but it was a great skit, and I have that book, by the way, if you ever want to look at it. So uh, that not very good it has iced tea in it. Yeah, I've seen it. I've thumbed through it. It was uh, back before the internet. It was something, but now that shit's just all. Uh, yeah, it's pretty lame. Pretty lame. So, you know, it's funny, like that quote at the beginning by Hans about John McClane being the cowboy, being the. Uh, this movie is like. America, man, this this fucking movie is like it's fucking like only America with a heart on this. That's movie. the only subversive element in this entire movie. That's that's probably why I picked it. It's the only bit. It's the single. It's the only bit other than the uh, ineptness of the FBI and the cops in general, which I guess is subversive in and of itself. I thought uh, that was. Uh, I thought that was. Uh, that's one reason I enjoyed that because you sort of got to pull for Hans Gruber a little bit. Its pretense of rugged individualism is uh, without. You know, without comparison, I think uh, in in cinema the eighties, it was uh, just the DIY action hero, uh, not really the smoothest character. You know, kind of America. We're not really the smooth, suave European. I like how uh, John McClane. He doesn't describe. He describes the the. He thinks that they're European, not because they speak in rich German accents, but because they have European style suits. Well, he checks. He checks out the tab and European uh, cigarettes. Right. Exactly. And he knew that 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 Hans was faking it because. Uh, or oh, when he faked I, his American accent. Well, he was faking his American accent, which I guess was a bit that they added into the film. I thought that was. I thought that was a nice bit. Because uh, they were playing around one day, and Alan Rickman, yeah, Alan Rickman, affected American accent really well. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Hey, that's pretty groovy. Why don't we try to put that in the movie?" So I thought it was they, a nice part. I thought it was really neat. Yeah, because you were thinking, "It's like, oh, I guess you never did see his face. They never saw mm-hmm. each other's face, you know, or uh, uh, John never saw." Hans. And he and he and, and uh, Gruber sort of had to see John's face to recognize him in the photo. He turns up later. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and so, but the thing that gives Hans away, if if you know John didn't already know it, was the way that he smoked the cigarette. And I don't know if you caught that at all. You smoke it like this? Yeah. And I don't know if that is that really. I I swear to God, I've seen like a million. European smoking cigarettes, and I don't smoke think I'd ever notice them. I've seen Russian guys smoke them like this, like joints, <laughs> like that. Really? Yeah. So I guess there's a cultural so it's sort difference. Sort of a weird backward hold, or holding it in your hand to keep the wind off it. Oh, got it. Yeah, for those uh, Siberian. Like you, smoke, you smoke a J like that, right? The windy Siberian smoker underneath the chin. 
Jesus. Is there any like like reverse Pollock where they have their, their hand around their head, you know? And hey. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, uh, John is able to sniff out those those wily Europeans by... I know. Uh, these visual gags make great pod, by the way. I know, yeah. Uh, by their uh, but- wily... Uh, they're 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 over stylized uh wardrobes <laughs> you know we're talking about this and the subversion and and john and it's american go get them get her done nature yeah you know, there's one thing that came to me watching this film and so i certainly enjoyed all those aspects of it is but was why is john doing this i guess it's because his wife is hostage and he wants to save her right yeah it's a good point Motivation. in the end in the end People are taking hostages. He realizes they're there to as thieves, right? Yeah, they're not. He, uh, they're not political at all. He doesn't realize their plan is to kill all the hostages right away. He only figures that out very late in the film. Correct. Right. Yeah. Correct. Is it really the best idea to just try to kill all the of the guys? I uh, mean, if these first, if these guys just want to steal a few hundred million dollars from some international corporation. Why would see like why would you put your life on the line for ten days operating expenses of this conglomerate? So if everything went smoothly, let's say the had access to the vault, uh, there was no police interference. Uh, John wasn't running around in the rafters. Yeah, let's uh, say they got they got this totally opened before the police ever arrived, and you know they were always planning to kill the uh, the hostages. Well, but that was when the that. but that was assuming that the cops showed up and then they no, had no, to they have always, a getaway they always, plan. No, they always planned to kill the hostages because they okay. always thought the cops would arrive, right. and they also always knew it'd be tough to move that much that much uh, bearer bonds. So they wanted to be thought they were dead and everything else was destroyed with oh. them. Okay. So that I mean, they always plan to blow them up. But from John's point of view, it just doesn't seem being the one man out there trying to take him down, the cowboy. Just doesn't seem like maybe the best idea. Um, because who cares if they're stealing somebody else's money? First off, yeah, who gives a shit? It's only about the hostages and going in guns ablazing in this situation. Really, it's really poor judgment. So, but he had to root out the plan that he was going to kill them all, right? No, I, I understand mean, the espionage aspect of it to try to figure it out. But the idea that he would—that's that, your first when you you get yourself in a sticky situation like John does. And you go, what are my options? It just doesn't seem like kill them all is necessarily the first course of action you want to take. If you're an Amer- a real American. <laughs> nah, okay. <laughs> if you're a cop from Brooklyn. <laughs> I, got a, you, I got a I, list of 100 scumbags. I still got to get in the uh, get in jail. If you if you want to make for a boring fucking movie, then how about go ahead. how about uh, John McClane has an existential crisis up on the thirty uh, third floor, <laughs> hemming just, and hawing about what's the right course of action. He just pulls that little picture of of his family out. He, of cro- his he weeps and rocks back and forth slowly <laughs> for an hour and a half, and then he shoots randomly into the air before like. <laughs> and holding then Hans the blows everybody up. The end. <laughs> Um, well, then the other thing is, is why didn't the fuck Hans, why did he have to, was like, was it an accident there was a Christmas party? Why don't they wait to see if, you know, why don't they do it on Boxing Day when there probably is nobody around? You know, why well, did they I think have they, to do they it wanted, hostages? They wanted some hostages because I think they knew that the, they were always planning for a police response. Okay. 
They weren't planning for no police response. It seems like it's a somewhat likely outcome. Maybe they had a different plan in case there was no police response. I would have tried for let's have maybe maybe this blowing up all the hostages would only occur if the police response arrived. So maybe if John had just kept shut, maybe they would have just snuck out of there. Uh, I it seems like if they were the smooth criminals that you sort of uh, inferred that they were. That if you got rid of hostages, you could just—I mean, they—they they totally took down the building and, you know, made it look like things were all normal, and uh, they were just up there hacking the safe. I mean, why did you need the hostages? I mean, you could have just taken all that shit and put it in their little delivery van and well, took off see, in the morning. If you don't have the hostages, then the cops just come in and and route you with superior okay. numbers. You need all the right. hostages to do, as a delay tactic. Plus, it's good for their subterfuge. As terrorist, okay. Yeah, maybe the plot holes aren't plot holes. I was just. No, I, uh, I, th- I think I don't think there's too many plot holes. The only hole is maybe judgment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so, there's one character we haven't talked about. Uh, who's that? Argyle. Argyle, the uh, blackest uh, man with a Scottish first name I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> that guy uh, was like, partying. That guy's a one man uh, party. He was partying. He was partying with that bear. I think he might have been Fucking, feeling that bear up at one point. He was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, he was um, enjoying a little bit of the bar. I think he was going to get fired the next day. I don't think that guy was cut out for limo driving. <laughs> yeah. But he was the only guy who had a working phone in the entire uh, building, which uh, I thought was kind of funny because if I was Jack, I'd be like, okay, all the phones are down in the entire building. Why don't I just crawl through the HVAC and get down to see if I can get on Argyle's phone and then make a clandestine call out to – you know, yeah, the, a cop, that, see, or a cop were, buddy in New York, you know, who could hook him up with LAPD or something. Yeah, you know? there were some other options, uh, and uh, you know, but you know, you, you you do you do you act you do what you know, and he knew violence. Uh yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, you know, I, you don't get his backstory. You don't know what kind of B cop he was. The, there's the, one very dark point, and after I go over this, we can move on to the review. Okay. But, uh, there's a, there's a very dark moment. Listen to this carefully, and tell me what you think about John. Kill you. Wow! What? <laughs> did you hear that? I did. I didn't. I'm I gonna didn't. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna cook you, and I'm gonna fucking eat you. He says that to Carl while they're having their big drag out fight near the end of the film before he oh. hangs him on the chain unsuccessfully that uh there's a dark he's gonna fucking that, kill him and eat him that's some freudian shit going on right there he's gonna yeah. cook him first it's not like he's an animal well and he's not gonna fuck him either i would have thrown fuck him in there i'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> he kill killed you his then parents? i'm gonna fuck you then he i'm gonna cook his you, parents? Then I'm gonna eat you and then he ate his parents <laughs> that's right, yeah. in that order what <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right let's uh let's roll into ebert territory uh well he uh reviewed this in uh july 15th 88 when the movie came out not too crazy about it. gives it a middle in score of two stars which i guess i'm not as familiar with uh ebert's historical know. reviews it's, but it's a, i guess that's not very good that's sort of it's a it's a it's a splat on the rotten tomatoes uh, oh is that a, yeah. they put it they put it at under 50 percent. yeah so um he does say the movie in general uh, has a a certain allure to it and then you know he goes into the the plot 
Um, and he talks about, he calls Bruce Willis another one of those Hollywood action roles where the hero's shirt is ripped off at the, in, the, in the first reel so you can see how much time he's been spending at the gym. Wow. That's, uh, I don't know I, why I that's... I certainly noticed that. He, takes, he doesn't rip it off. He takes it off to wash up. Well, he has his wife beater on because he's like relaxing after his plane trip and then the shit yeah. goes down. And so he's running around the building without shoes and And we did talk about the whole shoes aspect. I think that's really ingenious. This idea is he has to do this. He's doing this whole thing barefoot. I still I think that's a really nice plot point. He, I really enjoy I that. Well, he tries to put on a terrorist, like a six foot five terrorist shoes that are strangely too small for him. <laughs> yeah, I but didn't understand why that. He killed one. another. He had a couple other corpses laying around. He thought he would yeah, he, give them a go. He was know. too busy. I he got used to it. He got so much. He had lost so much blood in his feet that he couldn't feel anything. <laughs> uh, you know, he does in the in the third paragraph. He mentions that. Uh, um, that is only after Willis starts causing trouble that he is forced to take Hans, is forced oh, no. to take the employees hostages. Yeah, he takes he the hostages right one. away. Yeah. Like making, he didn't even watch the fucking movie. That is crazy. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's trying to get at the point we were making that maybe uh, John's you know course of action wasn't the best one to take necessarily, especially given the information he had. It was a little rash, to say the least. Yeah, maybe that's where he's trying to get at, but he fucking gets his facts mixed up. Uh-huh. Um, he says, on a technical level, there's a lot to be said for Die Hard. Uh, it's when, then he spends two paragraphs describing this. It's when we get to some of the unnecessary adornments of the script that the movie shoots itself in the foot. He says, um, the problem is they introduce a gratuitous and unnecessary additional character, the deputy, the deputy police chief, Paul Gleason, who says that we're going to need more FBI guys. Yeah, and uh, as nearly as near as I can tell, the deputy chief is in the movie for only one purpose: to be consistently wrong at every step of the way to provide a phony counterpoint to Willis's progress. I think that's sort of true. Yeah, he's in there as sort of the fool. He uh, yeah yeah. It's well, I guess I, I I guess I mean he continues to rail about this. I'll just I'll let me finish up his okay. railing. Just a couple points. He says inappropriate and wrong, inappropriate and wrongheaded interruptions reveal the fragile nature of the plot and prevent it from working. Without the deputy chief and all he represents, Die Hard would have been a more passable thriller. With him, it's a mess, <laughs> yeah. and that's a shame because the wow. film does contain superior special effects, impressive stunt work, and good performances, especially from Rickman. He's pinning all this shit on Paul Gleason. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Which is, I, uh, I guess he calls it the idiot plot syndrome. To put somebody stupid in there to make, to basically contrast the intelligence and right-headedness but, of the main character. Right. So it, it just to validate, some, the validate a, the, uh, the, the, uh, the man of action, so to speak, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like a contrasting character. You got... The man of action smart and makes the right decisions, not like this dum dum. Exactly. I guess, I guess maybe this there is bureaucrat. such a thing called the idiot plot syndrome, and maybe it's a symptom of a weak weak writing. Possibly. I you and, know, and maybe I don't really. Maybe you don't really need it in this film, as we say. There are quite a few peripheral characters. I just don't see where it's that big of a deal. Um, there's been quite a gun debate recently due to recent events, and we talked what? about it last podcast. Something happened. But- yeah, something happened, but uh, we won't go into that. But uh, the thing is, is uh, you have a bunch of uh, people who say that, you know, only if we armed everybody to the teeth can we stop more gun violence, which seems like 
you know, if we gave heroin junkies better heroin, then they would stop being heroin junkies. It's kind of ridiculous. Well, I guess arguments. it depends on what the better heroin is. Yeah, so maybe a better heroin out there. So, but this movie, I guess, reinforces that crazy notion that uh, the guy who goes against, uh, I guess what you should do, which is represented by the police chief, you know, sort of following the rules and going through the, uh, the proper procedure. You, you know, if you got a gun, then you got to take those fucking terrorists down yourself, man. Cause you know, you're, you ain't going to leave it up to bureaucracy or, uh, uh, conventional wisdom. You know, you, you gotta, well, you gotta get on it. Yeah, I guess, you know, I, but it's sort of an American character. It's, it's one of the things I like about America. Is this go get them, fuck all those fuckers, right? You know, stick up your ass sort of character. I think it's it's a nice flavor. It's sort of the. the, I'll say this: what makes what makes America special other than its bravado and imperialism? I'll I'll say it's a romantic notion, but rarely is it the proper course of action. (laughs) Well, when has the proper course of action had anything to do with human behavior? Uh, Absolutely not. I mean, we're creatures of passion. We're animals. With a facade of society on top of us, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's. I think it's too much to expect. You know, rational too too much rational behavior out of people, especially Americans. And you know, it's sort of something I love about the country. Okay, it's you crazy. Like the, uh, it's crazy gun toting fucks. I, I, I'm not crazy about the guys who are mentally ill and feel like they have to kill a bunch of school children. I don't feel Well, that's not who that. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that believe that, you know, if you if you would have had one John McClane, like a janitor who was a former cop who oh. happened to be packing heat, that, you know, he would have he would have fucking crawled out of the woodwork and taken any of, you know, taken that asshole down before he could even like pull up put a cartridge in his gun. You know, you know the, the thing, thing is, it might it might have worked. There's probably one example in a thousand where that would happen. Yeah, and then there's 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 ninety nine point nine percent tragedy that occurs. You know, under that circumstance. Well, and you don't forget about the uh, fifty kids who would die every year from uh, getting into the janitor's closet and killing somebody else with exactly. the gun. Exactly. <laughs> no, that never. But happens. see, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It's that one out of a thousand that matters. Well, that's what counts. Because human beings are creatures of anecdote. We don't. We don't. We don't think statistically. We think anecdotally. So we have to. We were. We were designed, evolved to make decisions based on a policy, a paucity of information. We have to make models based on very little experience in order and to survive. We were living in tribes of like a hundred people. Yeah, you know, so and so went wandering over in that neck of the woods. Well, I'm not fucking going back. over there. That's a crazy fucking idea. Because we went out there, and all we found was, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bloody mist on one of the trees. So something bad happened out there. Don't go out there. And you know, they're probably right. But it's, uh, when you're dealing with little information, it's it's a good way to work. Unfortunately, not that we under, understand statistics, or a small amount of us do. It ruins the <laughs> party for small It ruins it for all the drunk drivers out there, too. You used to be able to get a bit of a oh, buzz on and drive, and you'd be fine. It's like but that now, onion. oh, you look at the numbers, and you end up killing people. That Onion article, which I think actually got the percentage too low, but it was oh, like 97% uh, of all drunk drivers get home okay. Yeah, you know, I think like, it's, it's actually yeah, 99. You probably got two or three nines yeah. in that. So John McLean, a quintessential American character, uh... I don't think. Yeah, he could. I think it's part of what I. It's part of what I love about this country. He would not fit 
if you ha- this was this would not be an adaptation from say a Japanese thriller. This is a purely American film. Yeah, well, and, how uh, would you get a gun? You could, you could do it in London. The guy has a one of those sticks because he's a cop. He carries a stick around. Uh, uh, sticks yeah, those exactly. fucking guys. A now baton. I got a bat, motherfucker. Merry <laughs> Christmas. That's right. Yip, yippee kaye or whatever the equivalent cowboy term is in Engl- in in the English parlance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I don't got anything more. This is a Christmas movie, uh, in the loose, 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 loosest, uh, interpretation just because it's, it's, set it's a what Christmas. movie? Christmas movie. Oh, Christmas movie. I oh, know. I think it's a good Christmas movie and this is our Christmas and Merry Christmas to everybody out there. But what kind of asshole Mac, boss? Mac and, Ma- what's the name of our podcast? The Mark, cult, Matt, Mark. Oh, your, your name's first and there's yeah. no Mac. <laughs> no. All right. Old people used to call me Mac when I was a kid and drove me fucking nuts. <laughs> Like Mac, have, ever, have you ever met a Mac? I've never met a fucking uh, Mac. I have never actually met a Mac, but it's a pretty good name. I might, I might switch my name to it. I've been thinking. There's about Mac it. trucks, but there's no individuals I've ever. I would be Mac, Mac, not CK, but just C. Mac C, just I with the C. Is Mac well, spelled M A C or M A C K? M A C K, I think. Okay. Uh, what was I saying? Uh, I was talking about Christmas being this Christmas movie. I was saying, yeah. what asshole boss makes? Makes all their workers stick around for a Christmas party on Christmas Eve. A diabolical asshole. A, a oh, terrible, was it Christmas Eve? Well, terrible it was just vacation the, policy at the Nakatomi Corporation. That's all I'm saying. Oh, it was just the upper management, man. What? Really? I thought, well, okay. It didn't look like it was all the riffraff. Uh, maybe not, but uh, I don't know. That boss deserved it. That's all I got to say. Well, okay. they, these guys were probably making a lot of money. They had a Porsche totally paid off. Totally paid off, yeah. Yeah, and Porsches were still good back then, so good cars. Total ownership. <laughs> All right, so uh, next week um, we're going to do. Um, I guess we're going to do Donnie Darko. Yeah, Donnie Darko's up. Have you seen that's Donnie a, Darko? One, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, God, I just do not remember completely liking it. So it'll be nice to go back and uh, take a look. Well, I think what we're going to have to be careful of is not to pick the plot apart because when you have anything that has anything to do with time travel you start to get hung up a lot with uh, paradox so it'll be interesting I'm, I'm i'm curious to to see how the podcast will go but uh anyway donnie darko good way to start okay. off uh, the new Let's year do it. and uh until though until then folks you wanted a miracle i give you the fbi Dickhead.